0: Welcome to episode 35 of You Are Not A Frog, the power of the positive. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, doctors and other busy professionals in high stress jobs. Even before the coronavirus crisis, many of us were feeling stressed and one crisis away from not coping. We felt like frogs in boiling water, overwhelmed and exhausted. But this has crept up on us slowly, so we hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. And let's face it, frogs generally only have two choices, stay and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog, and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your own destiny and to craft your life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP, ten Executive Coach and Specialist in Resilience at Work. I work with doctors and other organisations all over the country to help professionals and their teams beat stress and take control of their work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control to survive and thrive in our work and lives. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com/slash get your life back. So in this episode of the podcast, I'm talking to Dr. Ami Sen Mukherjee. She's a GP and she has a special interest in well-being and is actually doing a master's in positive psychology. Now we talk about the importance of thinking in a positive manner and staying positive. Now we're not talking about blindly saying to ourselves that everything's going to be fine, you know that sort of positive thinking that's just really banal and really doesn't achieve anything. What we're talking about is actually focusing on the things that genuinely are going well, the things that genuinely are okay and we know that this is really good for our brains because whatever we focus on We notice more then in our environment. And there are little things that we can do to increase this positivity in our lives. And it does start to rewire our brain. So I thought this would be quite interesting uh, for you guys to listen to and. Here's the episode. So it's really brilliant to have with me on the podcast today, Dr. Amrita Senmukaji. Now, Ami's a portfolio GP. She's got a special interest in occupational medicine and positive psychology and wellbeing. She's a next-generation le- GP leader. She's also an educator at, at King's. She's also the RCGP First five Wellbeing Well-Being And For those of you who, who don't know what First Five are, the First Five is the, the term we use for GPs who are in their first five years after qualifying. And not only that, Amy, but you're mum to two small kids, so you're now also being home educator, is that right? Yes, that's right.
1: A role that I wouldn't say that I'm enjoying so much, but that I'm taking on with both hands and trying my best at. So, Oh gosh. I prefer teaching adults, let me say that. <laughs>
0: yeah. And how old are your kids? They're six and three. Right, so you're probably not getting a minute to yourself at home, I'm thinking.
1: No, unfortunately not. My husband has quite long working hours as well. So we're both doing this split shift system where we're both managing childcare, managing our working lives, and unfortunately working a little bit late in the evenings, which we're hoping won't carry on for too much longer
0: so i got amy on the podcast because i really wanted to talk to her about some of the sort of positive psychology things that we've been discussing together recently and i find positive psychology really really fascinating and use quite a lot of the stuff particularly from martin seligman during my shapes course and we were chatting the other day weren't we about well-being and i said oh actually i really want to get you on the podcast because there's some really useful stuff because at the moment we're in the, right in the middle of the coronavirus crisis and it's affecting everyone. We did a faculty medical leadership and management webinar on well-being a couple of days ago so we'll put that link in the show notes if you want to have a bit more of a deep dive into well-being but I thought actually there was some really useful stuff that came out of that and came out of some of our discussions. So I mean first of all you know how are you keeping well during the coronavirus crisis of being stuck at home?
1: Yeah so It's been really interesting because all the usual things that I do have had to be shelved and I've had to think of new ways of keeping well as it were. I do a lot of work from home and so I've had three very lovely people invade my personal space and my professional space and I've had to relegate myself to new working environments and that's been quite a an accommodation, shall we say, I'm very lucky to have a garden. So I try to spend some time in my garden, even just 10 minutes a day, just breathing in the fresh air. And I try to minimize my phone time, to be honest, and minimize my time. Looking at the news. I definitely like to keep up to date with the news and keep up to date with, medical protocols and things like that. But I limit the amount of screen time I have and the amount of interaction I have, because I think that's a healthy way for me personally to, try to focus and recalibrate essentially and try to give myself some time for my own wellbeing, because I can find that I do get a little bit overwhelmed with things if I'm constantly bombarded with new information and having that coupled with invasion of my own space and my work environment has been a little
0: bit of a new concept to handle, shall we say? Yeah, it's a bit of a double whammy, isn't it? We were talking in the webinar on Monday about the vortex of busyness and how when you get extra busy, you give up, you stop doing those things that fill you up, that give you energy, that make life worth living, and it just all becomes about, about the work. The problem is, it's not only are most of us a lot more busy than usual, but also we can't do those things. We can't get out and do, my thing is circuit training with with a bunch of friends. I can't do that at the moment, and I can't go out for coffee, and I'm really, really missing that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that human connection is really, really important Mm. to keep. And I'm certainly missing that as well. Um, I love to see my sister all the time, and I just can't see her at all. And even just small things like calling my friends and being able to have a five minute catch up with them. I'm just not finding time in the day to do that. So I'm personally really, really missing that connection with friends and family. So I'm trying to think of ways that I can build that back into my time. And I think it's really important to be real about the things that we are missing so that we can be mindful about how to build them back into our lives and make sure that we place importance on them as well.
0: So sort of intuitively we know that wellbeing, being mentally as fit and as healthy as you can and physically as fit as healthy as you can, we know that that's important but from a a positive psychology perspective why is it so important?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because there are so many different theories that propose why positive psychology is so important. And if we take it back a step, actually thinking about the concept of well-being, there are so many concepts of well-being and why well-being is important to us. And you're talking about physical activity and connection with people. And yes, we all know that that's important and it makes us feel good and we get the positive benefits of that. But why do we do that you know why do we get those benefits and it's quite easy to think so before i started studying all of this it's quite easy for people to think that there isn't much science behind well-being but actually there is so much research into the phenomena of well-being and as such because there is so much research there are so many different theories of well-being and so many different concepts of what makes well being and why it's important to us. So, it could be a physical state, it could be academic achievement, it could be physical achievement if you're an athlete, it could be goal directed behaviours, it could be so many different things. Martin Seligman talks about the pleasant life, he talks about the meaningful life. There are so many different concepts, but actually, if we think about another concept proposed by Barbara Friedrichsen about positive emotions, actually the concept of positivity and having positive emotions builds on positivity and not just in a linear fashion, but in a circular and spherical fashion as well. And so that builds on many, many different parts of our lives. And so by inviting positive activities, a positive frame of mind, what we're doing is is we're encouraging the neuroplasticity of our brain to think in different ways, to make new connections. And in doing so, we naturally become more positive And we try to subconsciously then move away from the negative bias that we more naturally feel and just become more positive in our own mindsets, therefore developing a more healthy way of being, which is why positivity and uh, positive psychology can be so important for us at this specific time when we're going through such huge seismic changes.
0: So I think some people would say, why is positivity important? Surely it's better. To be negative, to be a bit pessimistic, you know, because that will protect us if we always think the worst, if you always prepare for the worst, then surely we'll survive, We'll we'll do better. Yes, that's a really
1: interesting thought as well. And it's important for us to be mindful of the fact that we need to have a balance. And so I'm not saying be positive to the exclusion of all negativity or the only way to be is to be positive because that isn't realistic um, we're all human beings we all have positive emotions we all have negative emotions but the way we have evolved is for us to be more attuned to the negativity in life so i suppose what i'm saying is we have to teach ourselves or train ourselves to be more welcoming of the positives that we feel celebrate those positives that we feel because as human beings, we're generally not very good at that culturally as well. Um, as British people, we're not very good at that either. We're not very good at putting ourselves forward and celebrating our successes because um, it's just not really the done thing. So if we are more mindful of the positive things in our lives, we become more accepting of them. And you're absolutely right. There is a certain aspect of being aware of the negativity allows us to prepare for it, to mitigate for difficult conditions. And that essentially is a survival mechanism. And and it's important to have those mechanisms in place, but not to the exclusion of being positive, because by doing that, we aren't strengthening our resilience reservoirs. We're not strengthening our ability to protect ourselves in future times when we might need to call on the resources that we have to pull ourselves through difficult situations. if if i'm making
0: sense yeah so does positivity and positive emotion does that do something for us in terms of performance in terms of productivity in terms of well i guess being positive is going to make you enjoy life better as well but there are any other benefits to it
1: absolutely huge benefits so positivity actually increases our productivity it increases our efficiency there have been studies to show that it actually is Beneficial for our physical health as well. So it reduces heart rate and reduces blood pressure and by doing so naturally will reduce our total peripheral resistance as well It improves our serotonin levels in our brain It improves our dopamine levels as well Which naturally increase the energy that we have which naturally increases our motivation and therefore we've become more productive In our behaviors and we have more goal-directed behaviors as well So the things that we are actually carrying out become more meaningful as well so we're not just willy-nilly carrying out tasks we're actually carrying out tasks with a more focused mindset but another aspect as well of positivity is that it actually strengthens what we call the, the creative aspect of our minds as well and it allows our mind to develop a growth mindset and allows us to thrive as well and that thriving and flourishing behavior is really really important in times of hardship because that sense of creativity that sense of thriving allows us to pull on the resources that we've used in the past when we've had difficult situations and we can see people doing that now in this current predicament that we are facing globally and locally as well
0: so being positive is not all about sort of skipping around the room like bambi going isn't life brilliant it's a bit deeper than that and actually it's doubly important when things are really hard absolutely
1: it is really really important to embrace the positive but also acknowledge and embrace the negative as well. So I've spoken about it before, about making sure that we have meaningful balance in life and not ignoring the reality of what we're facing. And so it's being accepting of our emotions, acknowledging our emotions, and then being able to deal with our emotions because only by acknowledging our emotions can we accept them. Can we act on them in a meaningful way? And exactly what you said, it's not all about just skipping around in a Bambi kind of way and, you know, looking at all the larger dark. Because actually for quite a lot of people, there isn't much of that at the moment. And so this may not resonate with a lot of people, but it's about finding the positives in really small things as well. So for a lot of our healthcare colleagues out there, it might be something as simple as having a hot meal. It might be something as simple as being able to lie in your bed at night and knowing that you've done a really good job for a few patients that you've seen that day. It might be feeling the sheets against your skin and feeling the warmth of your bed. It might be being able to come home and saying hi to your family or seeing your family across a virtual interface. It's making sure that you are mindful of the positives that you have in your life and acknowledging them and being grateful for them.
0: So being mindful, so noticing them for a start, being grateful and I guess one way to be grateful which we talked about was to keep a gratitude journal just keeping you know a list of a few things every day are there any other ways to increase one's positivity in life
1: yes there are there are lots of ways so we've spoken about the gratitude diary yeah. there's another positive psychology intervention called three best things yeah. if you were to google that you'd be able to find the exact way of conducting that but essentially mm-hmm that is, is is not writing an essay or not writing prose, because at this time, time is limited, but actually just writing bullet points of, you know, three things that happened in your day that been nice, you know, which could be a stranger waved at me that made me feel valued or having a hot cup of tea felt nice against my lips or, you know, just being mindful of all these small things that, that are giving us joy at this moment. Another really great and positive psychology intervention, which has been shown to have great influence and impact on increasing positive emotions and gratitude specifically, and also meaning in life, which is something Martin Seligman talked about, is something called the Meaningful Photos Positive Psychology Intervention. And that is if you were to use your camera on the phone, because everybody has smartphones now, or using. automated phone uh, you know if you were to have one and actually taking photos of things that means something to you and i understand that in this particular time that might be really hard because the things that probably mean a lot to you at the moment you don't have access to but you could think about maybe when you're parked up in your car if you see a bird or if you were to see a cloud formation or if you lucky enough to have a garden the sunrise or something like that so taking photos of things that mean something to you um, at time one and then at some point later in time looking at those photos and reflecting on why those are meaningful to you. Going back to those photos, those same photos, about a week later and reflecting on those photos again. So not taking too many photos, probably about nine to twelve photos, but going back to those same photos about a week later and reflecting on those photos again. And really thinking about the meaning behind those photos and why those photos were so important to you has actually been shown to improve mood. It's been shown to improve people's understanding of their value in life, their understanding of their identity. And therefore that's had direct influence on gratitude and people's meaning in life as well. So that might be something that people might want Mm. to take in if they're looking for different things to do.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I love the idea of meaning because I think meaning is is such a powerful motivational factor, isn't it? And I know that in Daniel Pink's book, Drive, which is a brilliant book, by the way, guys, if you want to read a really, really good book about motivation, then Drive is one to read. It talks about, you know, we need to have autonomy. We need to have mastery. So we need to be good at what we do or feel that we're getting towards mastery. But actually, we also need meaning and purpose in our lives. And I just wonder if recently, well, before the coronavirus crisis i think i was talking to a lot of doctors coaching some people meeting people at courses and they they were finding that perhaps the meaning had slid out of things a little bit for them i don't know if you'd had that experience with doctors
1: i have yes i've had quite a lot of doctors talk to me about their difficulties with autonomy in their careers and that's quite often um seen during training because when you're in the training route you're told where your job is, you're told where you have to, either whether you have to relocate somewhere or whether you have to go to different hospitals. Quite often people are separated from their families. As a GP trainee, you have different rotations, uh, you're told which rotation you're going to be partaking in. There's very little choice in our professions actually as medical practitioners until we get to the point where we reach CCT or if you've taken time out and you've done a different role like a CSER role to achieve consultant positions and that's really really interesting that you hit upon that point because autonomy is so important in terms of a motivational theory called the self-determination theory proposed by two positive psychologists called Ryan Deke and what autonomy shows is that actually if people are actually masters of their own destiny. If they have that ability to choose the direction of their, their intrinsic motivation increases because the actions that they're partaking in align with their identity, they align with their values, they align with their purpose. And so because they have alignment of their identity, their values, and their purpose, the autonomy increases. And that's really, really important for goal-directed behaviour and for people to feel good about themselves because when you have purposeful goal-directed behaviour we automatically feel great about ourselves because when we achieve something we achieve it because we want to achieve it and because we're working towards the goals that we have not towards someone else's goals. Essentially marching to our own beat and not to the beat of somebody else.
0: I get it. top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to you are slash quiz yeah that's really fascinating so actually autonomy is all really linked with meaning as well and purpose and if we have a more autonomy our intrinsic motivation increases now I've not heard that before and for those listeners that haven't heard the phrase intrinsic motivation before there are two different types of motivation you've got intrinsic which is something coming from yourself saying I need to I really want to do this because I would love to be a doctor or do this or pass my diploma extrinsic motivation is me bribing my children saying, if you do 20 minutes of clarinet practice tonight, I'll give you a cream egg. (laughs) So that's extrinsic motivation. And it's a lot, lot weaker than intrinsic motivation. So anything that can increase intrinsic motivation is really important. Autonomy is difficult, right? And I think with the COVID crisis, lots of us are getting much less autonomy than we had. So how can we increase our feeling of autonomy, even when we actually have less of it? Is that possible?
1: Well, that's a really interesting question, Rachel, because I think already pre-COVID doctors were having difficulty with their autonomy anyway. Yeah,
0: that's very true.
1: And the way in which we could increase our autonomy is in our personal lives. But then if you look at the COVID situation, our autonomy in our own personal lives is being diminished on a minute by minute basis as well. So where do we go with that? What can we do? We have to limit our Consideration of the factors that we can control. And I think understanding and being accepting of the things that we can now control is one step in the right direction to accepting that our autonomy is changing. And this isn't forever. This isn't going to be hopefully for the rest of our lives, but it's for the short term. And if we change our mindset in the short term, it will hopefully be really beneficial to us. So, if people like to go to the gym or you you mentioned that you like to go circuit training. Okay. You can't do that with your friends anymore, but you might be able to do something on zoom with them, or you might be able to have a chat with them in the evenings instead. So swapping one activity for another. Um, so I think just trying to manage the things that we really want to do with things that we can do would be a really good way of shifting our understanding of the present sense of autonomy.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important point. In fact, I am, I'm doing Zoom circuits every morning because my lovely trainer is streaming it to us all. And actually, I think we have, I always sort of joke that doctors in particular have control issues, that we take far too much control over things we shouldn't do. And we don't take enough control over things that we should do. So I think we feel incredibly responsible for all our patients and society, and probably all our friends and our family and stuff, when actually, We have far less control over our patients' health than we think we do. I mean, with you know, healthcare can only affect what fifteen percent of the determinants of health. You know, it's a very small amount. But then we get very stressed about working conditions and things like that. We can't change, but then we don't do the really small things to help ourselves like get to bed at a decent hour and you know maximize on our sleep or our or exercise or actually put in the small changes and we just get sucked into yeah the social media thing of just you know having our phones in our bedroom and scrolling through Facebook and scaring ourselves before bedtime and all those sorts of things or even you know when we do have a choice about where we work I think we often feel very dutiful about where we should work and how long we should carry on doing it. And I ought to do this and I ought to do that because we're very responsible people. But actually thinking to yourself, what choices do I have? And I teach, I teach about this and I always get people saying, yeah, but I don't like the choices that I've got. (laughs) That's the problem. But actually, you know, that's where acceptance comes in. Actually, you might not like the choices that you've got. You always do have a choice. And I guess, yeah, we're at home at the moment we're stuck we can't do much but go out to work and I guess we can't really change where we're working at the moment and what we're expected of us there is still quite a lot of choice about that about how you are when you're at work what your mindset is who you interact with how you interact with your team how kind you are to other people and know all those sorts of things yeah I think
1: there's a certain element of choice you're right but People are being pushed to the limits at the moment um, mm. in their working environments, and the external factors surrounding PPE, surrounding the numbers coming yeah. through the doors, surrounding patient morbidity yeah. is very, very difficult at the moment. And I think that is influencing behaviour in a way that it, ha- it has always influenced behaviour, but I think it's influencing behaviour in a way that it hasn't done before. the extreme so everything's been heightened essentially and i think these types of things like looking after our well-being is so important at times like this because yes this is a difficult situation now but unfortunately it will get more difficult in in weeks to come and so if we can put the safeguards in at this moment in time actually protecting ourselves so it's almost like a prophylactic measure if we want to think about it in medical terms. and it's really really important to think about it in in that way there are other parts of the self-determination theory as well which I think are really key to doctor well-being and why we might be seeing the struggles that doctors are going through at this moment in time too but autonomy is certainly one of them so what else do you think is really important for sort of understanding this a little bit more sure so One of the key factors i think is that generally speaking as doctors we're competent individuals we're intelligent individuals we're well-educated individuals Mm -hmm. and this current crisis has really pushed us out of our comfort zone it's pushed us into an area of no man's land it's pushed us into an area where we're having to reframe our learning reframe the narrative was norm and it's not something where we can look to our seniors or look to our more experienced colleagues around the world and say hey how did you manage this everybody's learning at the same time and although that's a great situation to be in because you know that you're not the only one in that boat it's also a really nerve-wracking situation as well it's really
0: uncomfortable
1: because it's uncomfortable absolutely because as medics we're used to i don't know that i'll just go and ask someone else Mm because someone else knows that you know i've got my skill set but that other colleague of mine has got their skill set But we're finding at the moment that everybody's in the same position where no one has exactly the right skill set and that's no criticism it's just it's it's just this is so new and how do you deal with this novel virus well everybody mucks in everybody's doing the best that they can and i think that's really important that people are just mindful of the fact that everyone's doing the best that they can and give yourself a pat, pat on the back for for just being there for just showing up
0: that so often we beat ourselves up about the fact we don't know something or we don't know how to treat something or i must be useless because i got that wrong but actually yeah give yourself a break it's you know no one knows how to treat this we're doing our best actually even if you do make a mistake that was a preventable mistake everyone makes mistakes nobody is a hundred percent you know accurate the whole time and i guess I guess if you're looking at autonomy there and control, the one thing you do have control over it mainly is how you 're looking after yourself and your well being and if you are looking after yourself well, you are less likely to make mistakes you're less likely to be in that negative frame of mind, that negative mindset where you 're backed into the corner and you're hijacked by your amygdala, and, and that is a really bad place for making lots of mistakes as well, so mm-hmm. I think it's finding that choice that choice and what we do have choices about which when it feels limited there always are some things and focusing on that rather than what you what we can't control you mm-hmm. know what the government's doing if there's enough PPE what, what the policies are which is can be really stressful so how else can the self-determination theory help us to actually overcome all this does it give any pointers well, or suggestions
1: well I would say re- with regarding to competence just acknowledging that everyone else in your team is in the same position and so talking to people that bonding and that connectedness of of actually talking to people will really really help you through this time it will make you feel less uncertain about your own incompetency and because actually knowing that others are in the same boat as you shows you that you don't have to be alone you're not in it alone you won't be going home at night ruminating and thinking because rumination is dangerous Um, and knowing that you've shared your thoughts with your team is so supportive So consider that. And if you are finding yourself in a situation where you are very, very concerned, reach out. There are support services out there. PHP is an amazing resource, or if you are wanting coaching, reach out to coaches. But if you're needing psychological help, there's no shame in that. And there's no stigma around that. And that PHP resource is there to help doctors. And it's a huge, huge resource that that should be utilized. And another part of the that brings me on to my last point about self-determination theory there is the relatedness, and I think pre-COVID the relatedness in doctors had been missing because of the deep fragmentation of the firms. So right. the firm structure had been completely dissolved, meaning that junior doctors didn't have a team. So as they through the ranks, they hadn't learnt so much about camaraderie and they hadn't learnt so much about supporting juniors. and um, So when they got into senior roles of consultancy, they were. Taught in a very different environment to say consultants of the past. And what we're seeing now is actually the reignition of the firm structure with the COVID environment in the hospital environment, anyway. And we're also seeing in general practice the camaraderie in the hot hubs, camaraderie in practices, because actually remote working is causing people to communicate a lot better than maybe they would do if they were working in the same practice on a face to face basis. So what we are seeing is excellent use of emotional support amongst teams and team working, which brings to the last last part of the self-determination theory about relatedness and that human connection is so important. So you don't actually have to physically connect with people, but having that emotional and psychological support from people and knowing that your team are in it with you, you're in it together is so important. Being able to foster that into your environment if it's not already there. Yeah really pay dividends.
0: Yeah, I think people do have to be especially careful for that, so I know there are some teams that have got really, they're really great now, but there are quite a lot of GPs who are working from home or locums who are popping to different surgeries or maybe working on 111 or, you know, and they might not necessarily have a team that they can plug into, yeah. and again, what can you control what can you do about that well you know you'll always know a few gps in the area get onto them on whatsapp and go can we have a zoom call or something something like that because I, th- I think you're right it's just so important
1: yeah it really so, is it really is i can't highlight the importance of emotional connection and just
0: friendship so can you just sum up the self-determination theory for me in, in a couple of sentences
1: Sure. Okay. So, and the self-determination theory considers three points, which are autonomy, competency and relatedness. And if you were to have these three things, essentially they contribute to a motivational theory, which improves our ability for us to thrive, to grow, to be creative. And generally speaking, if all of these things are in line, our wellbeing improves. So. What I've been seeing amongst the medic community, amongst the people who've been speaking to me through my different roles is that these three facets of their being has been out of kilter. And so if we can try to realign these in whatever way is um, sufficient or appropriate for individuals, hopefully our motivation can try to realign again and will be more supportive for us, not just in a
0: motivational point of view, but in an overall well-being point of view as well. And I guess all that sort of combines in to help us feel a bit more positive, and then positivity breeds performance, breeds you know well-being, and all that sort of thing. So you sort of add it up into the mash pot. So well-being is not just about doing enough exercise, getting enough sleep, eating well. It's also about making sure that you've got this relatedness and connectedness, that you have got autonomy, so control over what's happening to you and decisions. But even if you haven't got Autonomy there, you might be able to get autonomy over here. You know, was there any research that came out of? I know that I'm just thinking of the sort of concentration camps and the victor Frankl stuff. You know, when victor Frankl, who was the Austrian psychologist, was he wrote *Man's Search for Meaning*, didn't he? And he he had absolutely no autonomy in the concentration camp. He was in there as an, as an inmate, and he his sort of famous quote is that you know when we've lost all, our, you know, the one thing that we can control is is my response can't remember the exact quote but you know yep. yeah and there's a space in between trigger and response and in that space lies your growth and your freedom and when everything's been stripped away you, you actually do have a choice about how you personally are going to respond to something
1: yeah I know exactly the quote you're thinking of and I just it's on the tip of my tongue yeah I, yeah I can see it in my mind's eye sorry yeah, yeah. no it's fine it's,
0: it's in between trigger and response there's a space and that in that space is your growth <laughs> and your freedom
1: Absolutely. And it's about, and essentially it's about, so that relates to another theory, which is about post-traumatic growth. Mind. So essentially it's about, so connecting to, to what I was talking about earlier, not ignoring the negatives, yeah. not dismissing the negatives, acknowledging the negatives, acknowledging the impact that they have on you, acknowledging the emotion that you're feeling, acknowledging what that does to your behavior and trying to make that into a purposeful behavior but also acknowledging the positives that there are in your life. There may not be many, you know, the ratio might be one to 10 positive to negative, but being mindful of those positives and concentrating on that positive, because if you allow yourself to concentrate on the positive, as well as acknowledging the negative, you will notice that the positivity does breed positivity. The positivity does allow you to soften the blows of the negativity, Mm. if, if that makes sense. so, So again, it's not about dismissing the emotions that you're feeling. It's not about dismissing the significant hardship that we are all going through, but it's about trying to encompass in a very small way, if at all, the positives that there are in our lives, because there will be a few. And if we are mindful of those, hopefully that seedling can be planted and that can grow into a great tree as they say the acorn has all the dna all the information that it needs to grow into a big oak tree so even mm-hmm. one positive act one positive thought has all that it needs to grow into lots and lots of positivity in our mind so mm-hmm. if, if we use that analogy we, we can see how it can develop
0: yeah so i mean if you had three tips for people to take away that they could try and do tomorrow what would they be so my tip
1: would be to Try to think of the things that you can control and not worry too much about the things that you can't control. Try to ensure that if you're feeling out of your depths with any professional circumstance, you are sharing that with your colleagues, with your mentor, with your peers, with your seniors. And if you feel that you can't share it with anybody at work, please contact support services that are out there. There are national support services out there and please talk to people who you feel you can trust. And the third thing would be to ensure that you're having some social contact with people, whether that be on Zoom, Skype, WhatsApp, just calling people, writing a letter, however that is, whatever you choose, whatever fits Mm. for you, whatever you think is the right thing for you. Just Mm. please allow yourself to have some social contact with people
0: great and i think having listened to you i think my tips that i'm taking away for this is firstly plan your positivity because so it's you just going i must be more positive that doesn't really help but actually if you work it just think about what's going to work for you i love those ideas of taking meaningful photos and i did that a few years ago i just started to keep a gratitude journal but, but three photos instead so i'm going to plan to do that and i think you need to be um, strategic if you're a team leader about how you can help relatedness within within your own team and i think even just having like a five minute team check-in once or twice a day either by zoom or just in the department where you are could be really important and that's for well-being not not just about processes but thinking about like how you are so we'll in the show notes i'll put a link to some resources the team well-being covid toolkit that you can download and there's a whole sheet about how you do it, five-minute team checking, because there's four key questions to ask there. And I think my third one is just don't neglect the basic stuff. You know, right now, get some sleep, get some exercise, eat well, you know, all those basic things that that aren't rocket science that sometimes we just ignore. And don't forget that you're not superhuman as a doctor, as a frontline worker. And we're we're in it for the long haul, really. It's, It's not really a sprint, it is a marathon. And I keep trying to remind people of that. So it's just really being strategic about those things. So I mean, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Sure. So you
1: can get in touch with me on Twitter at your wellbeing doctor. That's D R, not the word doctor. um And I have a website which is www.yourwellbeing.doctor. That is D O C T O R.
0: Great. And we'll put those in the show links as well. So, Amy, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I'd love to get you back on the podcast another time because I can't get enough of positive psychology stuff. I'm just finding really fascinating. So, Thank you so much. Thank and you yeah. thank you so much for having have, me. You're welcome and have a great Easter weekend.
1: You too. Have a lovely evening. Take care. Bye. Bye